0: Hello, Luckdown Astros Nation. This is H-Town Wheelhouse. We're coming in a little early tonight, but it's an off day, and there's no baseball, but that's okay. We got you covered. I'm H-Town Wheelhouse, and I am joined here with Joe Thawne, manager of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers in the Astros farm system. The Astros, we're going to talk about them today. They face the Mets in a two-game miniseries at Minute Maid Park. Which offense will show up? Will it be the 13-run bludgeoning Astros that knocked the soul out of the White Sox bodies? Or will it be the one that Johnny Cueto seemed to silence? We don't know. The offense has been a little up and down, a little helter-skelter. And after a day off, the Astros are preparing to take on the Titans of New York, the baseball world, the Mets first, and then the Yankees. So let's break down this matchup. Let's talk about some Astros player development. Sit back. It'll be a fun ride. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Locked on Astros, your daily Astros podcast. Here are your hosts, Eric, the man Heisman, and Brett, H-Town Wheelhouse Chansey. We are Locked on Houston Astros, and we're your daily Astros podcast. I'm H-Town Wheelhouse. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at H-Town Wheelhouse. You can find me at stros four one one. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, always positive, always strows. You can find the show at Locked On Astros on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. Joe, tell the people where they can find you on Twitter.
1: Hi guys, uh, Dicky Joe Thon, go by Joe Thon. Uh, Twitter, uh, Thon Joe. Kind of not really active there, but I'll do my best.
0: No, yeah, definitely. You know, not not as many people are as active as we are here at the show, but this. Um, you know it's amazing that you hear, and I'm glad we're using the word amazing because Rock Auto it brings this show to us. Hey, they have a they have an amazing selection, reliable prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com and tell them the Locked On Astros sent you. So we want to kind of dive into the Astros and Mets mini series. Um, you are manager of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. We'll get to your kind of backstory, your I guess origin story, kind of make it more marvelous, you know, like Wolverine origins kind of thing. Maybe it won't be that epic, but we'll we'll talk to you about that. We'll talk about your obvious pedigree connection to the Houston Astros organization, which I'm sure people can figure out if they read between the lines but the Astros and Mets are coming into a two game series the Astros are 41 and 25 the Mets are a, are a National League best 44 and 24 the Mets offense really has been the driving force um they do they do have have really good pitching Scherzer has been on the shelf he's supposed to be coming back soon they've been without him without DeGrom and they've still been winning i mean they still keep winning this is a powerfully offensive team from from a from your position when you're when you're in the minor leagues managing guys and you see someone like a Steve Cohen that owns a team and he just spins like a drunken sailor like what is that like in the baseball world what is the buzz when is it just like okay he's just gonna buy the next big talented player
1: yeah every organization has their own way of doing things uh, the way uh, Cohen does it it's just you know reminiscent of the Steinbrenner years um but we like we uh with our owner here, we're very happy with what he does. He's very, very supportive, extremely competitive. So I think having a competitive owner by itself is a blessing. You know, having, He's really wanting to win, and it makes things really fun when a guy is very uh, intent on winning.
0: Exactly, and one of the things I've noticed or when I talk to people that are connected to, whether they're official scouts or whether they do kind of scouting because they write for different minor league publications – I always hear the same thing. Jim Crane hires the people, the right people, smart people, like that know what they're doing. Like he puts baseball people in baseball positions. When you guys draft, you draft guys that are smart. I mean, you look back at these guys' GPAs, what they did academically, and they all seem to have a lot of the same characteristics. And typically that pays off. I mean, we've got guys like Luis Garcia now. You got guys like Jose or I mean, we got guys on this roster. I mean, Jake Myers, I know he's coming back from the injury, but there are guys that have made it to the majors and made an impact that nobody had on their radar, even MLB pipeline.
1: Yeah. It's a testament to our scouting department, our analysts, uh, our player development, all it's, it's a whole conjuncture. We have a good, uh good way of meshing all, all aspects and departments together. Our scouting department is as they do a hell of a job. And I mean, Those names that you guys see now, when we first got them, we were like, okay, there's definitely something there. And just kind of make sure that development happens to fruition and the biggest level.
0: Exactly. And so now, you know, let's let's go ahead and go with with the big league club game one. We have a pitching matchup of Trevor Williams. He is I believe he's one and four on the season against Jose Architi. Um, Trevor has only faced the Astros one time. He allowed four runs on eight hits with four strikeouts in six and two thirds innings, and he was charged with a loss. So his only game against us was a loss. I do not believe Jose Arquiti has faced the has faced the Mets. But the second game is an interesting game because Luis Garcia, who is four and five, really like with the way he's pitched, should be seven and two, right? Sometimes he hasn't gotten the support. He's gotten some bad luck hits in the inning, but he only has a 2.98 ERA. Going against Carlos Carrasco, if I remember correctly, Carlos Carrasco was diagnosed uh, a few years ago with cancer, I believe, and came back um, from that. If I'm if I'm not mis misquoting that diagnosis, but he's eight and two for the Mets right now. He does have a little high ERA, three point nine six. When you watch someone like Jose Arquidi, and I don't know how many Astros games you watch, or when you hear about the buzz about Jose Urquidy, um he's been getting hit more lately. You know, he's not a high velocity guy. He'll throw in the lower 90s, but when he's not hitting his spots, he's very hittable. When you have a guy coming through your system and he's got good stuff, but he's not placing it right, what are some of the things you talk to those pitchers about if they're struggling to retire the batters?
1: You know, it's, it's one of those things, the kind of double-edged sword when you have a guy that throws so many strikes because uh, you, you, you teach guys from as soon as they get here it's to pound the zone. And you have a guy like Orkiti who's a master of pounding the zone. And he obviously has good stuff. And now he's just making certain adjustments. And our pitching staff up top has been working very diligently to uh, make those adjustments. Um, he's having he's having some quote unquote issues being hit and sometimes, but we're very satisfied with the way he's doing things, and throwing strikes is never a, a never a bad problem, you know.
0: No, yeah, and that's that's what we tell kids. My son just I believe he played his last season of Pony Ball. I think he's probably done with baseball. He's transitioned to basketball, and I've totally embraced that. That was tough for me as just baseball is number one to me, a tough pill to swallow. But that was something that I have always told young pitchers. Your job isn't to get outs. Your job isn't to strike a batter out. Your job is to throw strikes. And when you throw strikes, if you can learn how to hit the corner, have the catcher set up on the inside and you can hit that glove on the inside, work that a little bit then move to the outside, you know, and teach the catcher to move their glove around and practice and try to make that strike zone, maximize the strike zone. Because when you do pound strikes, I tell them you've got a defense behind you. So if you go up there thinking, I have to strike them out, I have to get them out, then you're complicating that process. And pitching, I guess, from a coaching standpoint, handling pitchers, is almost more psychological than physical sometimes.
1: Oh, in any, any uh, baseball player in any department. But, I mean, most of the times mo- uh, the players are searching for a byproduct that happens doing your job. Uh, we want to get strikeouts, obviously. We want to get outs. Uh, guys want to hit the ball hard. But they kind of lose fact of what is like, the reason behind it. You know, hitting your spots, doing your mechanics correctly, doing little things more often than not. Because um, we were looking for the you know the byproduct the uh, the end solution, but there's a lot in between the lines that you have to take care of first for that to actually happen.
0: No, yeah, I I agree with that, and of course you know you guys are a whole different level. But one of the things that I heard um, from a former student of mine, I was a youth pastor years ago. I had a had a student that his name was um he he was out of West Columbia. His name was um Jared Wells, and he was he was Suddenly, being scouted by the Pirates, by the Padres, he ended up getting picked by the Padres. Um, signed a pretty good deal, um, I believe in two thousand six. Was the Padres minor league like player of the year, pitcher of the year? A lot of promise, you know. The guys that were at the big league club were were highly touting him. And when he got to AAA, he said that strike zone just seemed to like become minuscule, like you were trying to hit the bullseye of a target. And he said, and then when you get to AAA, these are all the guys that are, their own they're they're good enough, but they but there's not a spot for them on a major league roster, basically. So it's a hitter's league. And, you know, he scratched the surface in the majors. Um, he pitched in several games. I don't know the total number. I don't want to do him a disservice. But he just talked about the difficult, how difficult it was going from level to level. So it was great to see Urquidy when he came in. I mean, he first really burst on the scene, like when he showed up in the World Series game and like pitched like he had ice in his veins. And, and that right there is an intangible as a coach that you probably look for. Like, can this kid go out there? Can he like put all the mental stuff behind him? And can he just work his magic?
1: For sure. And the big league level is a whole nother monster by itself. You know, the pressures of playing every day, the pressures of performing. And then you add the big league uh, lights. You know, some people handle it differently. And Urquidy uh, doing that in the big leagues was a big testament to like his preparation. Uh, we've had we have guys that we find very similar to that mold, and we pride ourselves in the Astros of having guys who can deal with those uh, those pressures and almost like a next man up mentality of uh, taking care of, of your job.
0: Exactly. I talked with I believe it was Joe Record that told us this. He said that he went out and he gave up. Um, I believe it was on Corpus. He gave up like four runs in the first inning. And the pitching coach came out and said, look, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. He said, I went four and two thirds innings after that, gave up no hits, had four strikeouts. And he said, I felt so good about that outing. And he said, we ended up, he goes, I believe we ended up winning, but he goes, I could have fallen apart, but it was all about the coach giving me that mindset. And I think that's what the guys that are up at the major league club, Miller and the pitching staff, even though strawy exited. Um, he left us with Murphy and Miller. Just do a phenomenal job, you know. Snedeker up there with the hitting coaches and Um, Those guys, they did, They just seem to have it together coaching wise.
1: Yeah, we just want to like make sure the players. Yeah, you know, when things go well, it's easy to kind of ride that way. But when things get difficult, guys are you know struggling a little bit. That's when the player needs to know that you have their back and just keep going. Because this game is very very difficult, and things get. You know, they seem like the end of the world, and it's a spur of the moment. But if you look at the whole broad season, things add up. So if you can, if you're able to take care of your things slowly, little by little, it, you know, it takes care of itself.
0: Exactly. So, um, you know, to focus back on on the Mets and in the Astros, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some ranks at you. So the Astros all time are actually 312 and 260 against the Mets. I remember the classic battles with the New York Mets when we were in the National League. Um, Teams that your father was a part of, uh, teams that I grew up loving, Jose Cruz, Dickie Thon, Bill Doran, Craig Reynolds, Glenn Davis. I mean, I could go on and on. You know, the Gerald Youngs, Kevin Bass, Billy Hatcher. I mean, all those guys. But this year, the Mets actually offensively are like they are fourth in RBI. They have 322. They ranked first in runs, 337. Now this this was all compiled by the 18th. So this, if you're listening to this on on Tuesday, this is three or four days old. So if you go back and check me out, because I, I guarantee people fact check me, they're probably a little outdated. Home runs, they're 18th. We're fourth. Now this is what's interesting. We're fourth in home runs, but we're 18th in runs, 15th in RBIs. We rank third in WRC Plus, where they rank second. Um, so offensively, as a coach, if you have a team like this, where if you hit a lot of home runs, but there's not a lot of runs being scored that are equaling that, is 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 there anything you can tell your players mentally? Because runners in scoring position at times has really been the Astros' weakness this year.
1: For sure, yeah. And it's one of those, it's, runners in scoring position is usually the most difficult time for hitters to hit. Whether it be the uh, strategies put in place by the pitcher or internal pressures, but uh, I think it's almost uh, it's kind of scary to be honest with you when the guys are hitting so many home runs or not hitting well to run and scoring position. Whenever because they will, whenever they start clicking and kind of getting their uh, approach correct, there's going to be a lot of runs, a lot of runs quickly because our team is very very dangerous in that way.
0: No, and that's what we saw the other day. I was I was at that game and it was like the the Astros went up three to nothing. My son and I were there and then they came back and tied at three to three. And I looked at them. I said, this may be one of those games where they only scored three runs and they just hit that 10 spot in the what sixth or seventh inning. I was like, what? Like we were literally like, hold on, wait, another home run. No. Are you kidding me? Like, this is kind of like the five home run inning they had when they were in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about the pitching. And then I want to ask you, um, another question about baseball, about the baseball. But pitching-wise, the Mets rank fourth in strikeouts per nine innings where the Astros rank 13th, so they're real close. Um, starting pitching, um, the Astros are eighth. The Mets are ninth, so they're really close there. Um, the Astros rank seventh. in um, Actually, in, re- in relief pitching, they're both tied with 17 for saves. Um, the Mets have their edge on holds. But one of the keys to the Astros' success this year Hasn't just been Justin Verlander or, you know, um, you know, Framber Valdez going out there doing his job, Luis Garcia, but this relief pitching staff, you know, last year at the trade deadline, the Astros needed that relief pitching trade that, for um, you know, Montero and Graben and those guys And Montero is the guy that stayed back. And Montero is the guy that not everybody, all the talking heads were like, oh, we know why Seattle got rid of him. He has become a superstar. Like I think he deserves an all-star nod. So the relief pitching has really carried this team, even when the offense hasn't been performing game in and game out.
1: For sure, yeah. Having a pitching staff in that uh, last four innings, because be, to be honest, we have on, we have Stanley, we have Presley. We, they have all those guys, and we have guys who can fill in as well with Abreu, Blanco, all those guys that can do a fantastic job. And so not every day you're going to hit. But if you ha- if you have those uh, kind of pitching staffs that keep you in the game, those one run games become a W more times than not.
0: Exactly, and I'm gonna I want to mention some, and I'm I'm not gonna ask you as a coach, what is your prediction for the uh, Astros Mets game? I'm not gonna ask you to do that. I think I think the Astros can win both of these games, can at least split the series if they just go out there and they go out there with confidence. I think the first game they take advantage of Trevor Williams not having a great year. Um, Carlos Carrasco may be more of a challenge, but I didn't pull up his numbers versus the Astros career-wise. So that's kind of on me, fam. I, I apologize for that. But what I want to do is I want to read some quotes from from Jim Crane in an article that, um, that Chandler Rome did. And after I do that, we're going to talk about Rock Auto. And we, when we come back from the Rock Auto break, we're going to talk to Joe Thon about how he became a part of the Astros organization his connection with the Astros and such. But James Click said in an interview with with, with Chandler Rome, the, um, the Astros beat writer, he said, inevitably people are going to say that, that these are big series and that this is a measuring stick or some other aspect of that. But anytime you're facing teams that are potential playoff teams, it's a great chance to see how you measure up. But at the same time, we're not going to overreact to it. And if we don't play as well as we want to in the games, and the games don't go our way over the next couple of weeks, we aren't going to suddenly start thinking what we need to make that we need to make massive changes. And that's what I think is going to happen. Let's, let's say, let's say the Astros go like three and six, right? They, they don't, they don't do well. Everybody on social media. Oh, we, we should, we need, we need Contreras. We need to trade Maldonado. We need to trade or key. like all the names, you know, we need that. We need to see who, who will give us something for Siri Dubon. I mean, And then everybody will be up for trade, and it will be like a big yard sale, and the sky will be falling in Chicken Little. And (laughs) I've been doing this for three years. Um, But right here, Fangraph still gives Houston the highest percent of winning the World Series in 13.5. And we're right one. We're one-tenth of a point above the Mets and two-tenths of a point above the Yankees. So the odds makers have us there. And I'll wrap it up with this. He says right here it's incredibly difficult I think to make adjustments to your roster that are singularly about a particular matchup in October especially with the expanded playoffs. I think with much I think we're much better off making sure we put ourselves in a, in as best positions we can starting August 3rd to make sure that whatever happens at that point over the next two months were covered. And just like that, Rock Auto is the place that has you covered for all your auto parts needs. I mean, you can go to the store, you can go to the dealership, they're gonna upcharge you. Why? Because you're not a mechanic like me. Joe, I mean, I mean, hey, we're just average Joe's, right? But his name's actually Joe. And I know when he goes to auto parts store, he, he doesn't like being upcharged. So Joe, if you have something you need to get done, if you need windshield wipers, if you need tail lamps, whatever it is, go to rockauto.com. They've been owned for 20 years by a family. They have an easily navigable website. You tape it, You type in your make, your model, whatever you drive, car, van, SUV, truck they have the parts and you search hundreds of parts sometimes you save 30 50 even 100% less of what the of what you'll get charged at a dealership so go to rockauto.com and when you do let them know once you purchase it says where did you hear about us in that box right, locked on astros to let them know that we sent you rockauto.com reliably low prices easily navigable website all the parts you'll ever need at rockauto.com all right. So, hey, yeah, um, I've got someone here commenting, saying the amount of social media negative chatter is crazy. Now, my tagline, Joe, is always positive, always Stroh's. I actually run a Facebook group called Strows 411. And people will always if I go with a slight bit negative on something, like oh, I thought you were always positive, always strows. And, you know, so I've got to hold myself to a higher standard. Um, I try not to be a homer. But gosh, I love the Houston Astros. I, I can't, I mean, I Joe, I cheer I cheer for two teams. I cheer for the Astros and whoever's playing the Yankees. So that's how I roll. <laughs> um but it comes on good authority that your dad was a great shortstop, one of the great shortstops in Astros history. Um that after he was he was hit in the in the face with the baseball at a net bat. Um, you said he played a couple years after that accident. But some people and I were talking and we believe that had that not happened, that his legacy would have been even greater than what it was. And so just know that from Astros Nation and Locked On Astros Nation that we we have a we have a strong admiration for for what your father, Billy Dorn and all those guys did, because they were a fun group to watch um, in in the in the 80s. And so thank you so much for uh, for allowing us to share that part of your life. Um, do you, do you recall, um, how, how old were you, were you in the clubhouse when he was playing? Was that before your time? Was that like, where were you in that phase of his life?
1: Uh, so dad retired in 94. I was born in 91, but I, I
0: grew
1: grew up in the clubhouse. So dad was always, uh, so even if he, uh, he, uh, retired in 94, I was always around the clubhouse, uh, whether it be winter ball and big leagues. Uh, so I, I grew up in that, uh. And the club was that way. And uh, we lived in Houston for a little bit and uh, we always the Kevin Bass, all the family members there in that whole area. They kind of stayed around for a while after their careers. We we got to grow, grow up and know all those people as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Now I have a question. So you have been with the Astros for two seasons, correct? Correct. And you are the current manager of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Now. Does your background as the son of a former major leaguer, does that help you? Did that influence you? Like what part did that, what role did that play in you getting into what you're doing now? Like has baseball just always been a part of your life and you're like, Hey, uh, it was natural to, to try to do something with the Astros. How did that work out? How did those events like unfold? I guess.
1: Um, It wasn't really uh, natural. It's just uh, after I was done playing, you know, every player got like it has that kind of moment of reflection. I was like, do I keep going? Do I do something else? Do I stay in the game? And I I was like two years of hiatus in baseball, per se. I got done playing in 17. um, And then uh, it just kind of I started talking to the coach at UH, uh, Todd Whitting. He gave me my first opportunity to coach. And it kind of just snowballed from there. Uh, having obviously the COVID year was kind of awkward and I got, uh, I was able to talk to Pete Putilla and Jason Bell uh, from our front office and uh, became a development coach here, which is our kind of our fourth coach bench coach. And this year have been uh, a manager. So it's been kind of going pretty quickly, but, uh, but I wouldn't say it was uh, the first choice I thought it was going to happen after I was done playing.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I mean, you, you had a pretty good stint. You you started in the in the 2010 2011 season um in Carolina and you you said you ended in um, 2017 with, with you were Sugarland if I'm not mistaken um the, the was it the last year that they were were they independent through 19 or they were independent through through uh, 20, right?
1: I believe it was up to 20 or 19, one of the two, I don't recall.
0: Okay. Did were you there? was was Jared Wells one of the pitchers when you were there?
1: He was not. No, I was there in seventeen at okay. tail end. Um Gary Gaetti was uh, my manager.
0: Okay. Okay, excellent. You know what? Um I yeah, we actually interviewed when I was with Stroesform when we interviewed Willie Tavares and yeah. he was with the team. Um that was a that was a fun interview getting to talk to him. So when you're when you're managing, does it do you do you absolutely love what you do because you have on your twitter profile player development so um if someone just looks at your twitter they're not going to go hey this guy's the manager of the of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers um and you had mentioned before being a manager is really being a part of the Astros player development
1: yeah it's it's kind of cliche but the in the Astros organization we consider it, it's just it's culture and a title is just a title we were all in player development we we're all trying to help the whole department in any way we can. So I'm very adamant that I'm in player development. Our our manager is Dusty Baker. You know, our our true manager is Dusty Baker and everybody else. Well, we're in player development. We're trying to get these guys ready. That's our main job.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love hearing that because I've heard so many great things about Dusty Baker, how he is a player's coach. I've heard – um, great interactions between him and other coaches. but with it seems like maybe some new blood and the just the shifting around of things because they reduce the number of minor league clubs. There's not as many clubs out there. so there's fewer teams in the system, which means you know not as many players. Um, what holes have been made due to previous moves with the Astros? And how have y'all plugged those holes? Is that just straight up through the draft or through acquisitions with other teams? Um, what have you seen since you've been with the Astros organization?
1: Oh, every every uh, year there's certain uh, holes and there's always adversity that you're trying to cover. So every year is kind of a chaotic dumpster fire that you're trying to organize. Right? <laughs> but and you know, uh, with the whole four teams now, just certain adjustments are taking a while to like get accustomed to. Uh, for example, just like timelines for players, a certain, uh, you know, it used to be seven and guys go through the short season, get a bunch of at-bats and then get to low a having, let's say, 600 at-bats already. Wow. Whereas now their first taste of professional baseball for the most part is low A. So you see a lot of adjustments. You see a bunch of guys from draft college or even our international uh, free agents that come in and the adjustment period is a little quicker so we're still trying to adjust to the teaching method, trying to get to get these guys ready without rushing them.
0: No, and and that's got to be that's got to be a chess game, not a check, not a checkers game, because every player is different. Like I interviewed, um, you know, Alex McKenna this year. We've interviewed um, Joey Luperfito. We've interviewed Joe Record, Joe Perez, and all these guys have very different experiences. They have very different journeys but they're all in the same organization. Like I I just saw the news today. Um, Alejandro Nunez from Cuba, 17 year old Cuban shortstop, just signed with the Astros organization. And so the Astros, I believe, have 21 Cuban players now in the pipeline. I think they had 23 at one time. I think they've let a couple go. I've heard they might come back at some point. There's maybe some transition going on there, but 21 players from Cuba. You have a lot of international players, um, what is it like as a manager when you are like, how do the Astros help if you're the manager, whether, I don't know, I'm assuming maybe, you know, a little bit of Spanish. Is that, <laughs> is that a tough hurdle if you're a manager that only speaks English and then you have a lot of, because the Astros pride themselves on a lot of Latin American players.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, most people uh, I'm, 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 actually from Puerto Rico. So me and my dad are like, we're all Puerto. That is double. right. Okay. Yeah. I re- so I recall that fans. now. So okay. it's kind of funny because it usually happens quite a bit because I'm very light skinned and I look just <laughs> like any other person here. But I am bilingual. So at least that adjustment. I end, okay. I end up being the translator for the most part on most occasions. There you go. So it's very helpful. But the, to the, in the same note, the Astros have made a very big like uh, very big adamant. Uh, they take it very seriously for coaches to try to learn Spanish and because the connection is very real when you are able to talk to a guy in their native tongue and certain adjustments can be made quicker you kind of can make those connections and just even have a familiarity with your coaching staff or the players it's we are very big on that and I'm, I'm very I'm very happy that the Astros do that with them
0: yeah you know i've heard that some of the players on the Astros team can actually speak pretty good english but when they're interviewed they choose not to because they don't want to look like they don't know what they're talking about. Right. I mean, and as someone who's, who's pretty much spoke exclusively English, I, my, my Spanish I muy poquito Espanol. I, I know very little, um, as they would say in Spanish, it's muy mal. It's pretty bad. My Spanish, I can understand it enough to get by. If I'm in a Spanish speaking country, I've, I've been to Honduras. I've, I've been to Mexico. Um, but, to have that barrier broken down, I think is key because these players, a lot of times, I mean, they're coming into a world that they didn't grow up in. You know, mm-hmm. we as baseball fans, it's our world, right? So we just think, Oh, well, well, why aren't you comfortable? Or, or, you know, why won't you? Cause I've literally heard people say, well, why don't they try to speak English? And I'm like, it's, it's not that easy because I mean, think about you going to another country and then being interviewed, let's say you go to Greece and play basketball, right? I mean, I mean, if you don't know Greek, <laughs> you're not speaking a Greek in an interview. You're going to try to speak English, and that's got to be intimidating. And I I have seen nothing but a ton of guys like Bregman just really bond with the guys. When Miles Straw was here, bond with the guys, learn Spanish. And the guys like Yuli and Martine and all these guys, they really embrace it. It really means a lot to them as players.
1: For sure. And, and it's very satisfying when you have a clubhouse. And I see it with my guys here in low a, and they're young, young guys, and they're making an effort to speak English or speak Spanish. And you see the camaraderie in the, in the clubhouse, you know, because they speak the same language between the lines it's, and the game is the same in any culture. So now like having them being able to communicate and just go through the struggles, go through the highs together. And it, it's very satisfying to see.
0: So, you know, I want to focus on something that I told the people that we would talk about today, and that's Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez is quite a talent. Maybe I'm understating it or underselling it a little bit. But before I do, I want to talk about Built Bars. And um, Joe, I don't know if you've heard about Built Bar, but they are amazing. They have this new flavor called Mud Pie. And you know how, so Built Bar has all these flavors they taste like the flavor they actually said they are. Like if like like if it's a brownie batter, it tastes like brownie batter. But these mud pies, if you're a chocolate fan, if you're a mud pie fan, it's like rich whipped cream, chocolate mousse, smothered in 100% chocolate, topped with cookies and cream crumble, and it's good for you. That's what's crazy about these built bars: 150 calories, only eight grams of sugar, 16 grams of protein. I mean, if you're a coach, you want your players on an optimal diet. You need to get them built because Built Bars are the best tasting protein bar in the land. They don't just have Built Bars, they have Built Puffs. And this is what's cool about the Built Puff. It's the only protein-infused marshmallow puff, and it's collagen protein, which means it's easy for you to absorb when you eat it. You can get on your way. I literally will eat them sometimes pre-workout, during my workout, or after, or sometimes just in the day when I'm not feeling it. i like, boom, grab a Built Bar. So if you want to take advantage of this great new flavor, Mud Pie, Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 for 50% off your order. Use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com the best bar in the biz. All right, so let's talk about Mr. Jordan Alvarez, the man of the hour. And I know right now he's he's sitting out till maybe a couple more games because of a sore hand. We don't know exactly what's happening there. But for all intents and purposes, he has lit the Major League Baseball world on fire. And whether the media wants to ignore him or not, they can't anymore and they aren't anymore. And they're giving him his credit. Um, you know, I, I want to I ask you this in relation to him and player development overall and like forecasting a player. Um, Alvarez's progress seemed to be stumped or seemed to stump people in the summer from Corpus to Fresno. There were a lot of big names saying that he didn't have power what changes on launch angle did he make or does a player make? And how, how has his knee surgery helped him excel in his play on the field?
1: Oh, for sure. You know how it is. When you have those knee discomforts, no matter what professional athlete core does not normal life, it's, it's never comfortable. So that definitely makes a big, a big help. But with Jordan, the fact that he is a pure hitter first and let alone is a straight-up animal. He's a very large human being. So he's an actual just pure hitter first and then just happens to hit the ball so far away. So it's just one of those things that it's just like a perfect combination of having a guy who has a great approach, can hit multiple pitches well, and then when he hits it clean, it's, it's going to go a long ways. He's doing that more times than not this year. And we're assessing guys in the minors. Um, the hitting tool is primordial. And they're growing up, you know, they're getting bigger, stronger. And when you have the, all those uh, – kind of working together, you, you get a situation like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. He is – now I, – sorry, I had, had someone come in the room. Um Jordan Alvarez, I've heard it described to him as balance, um, front to back. You know, his, his, his swing is so – like his bat speed's got to be uh, amazingly fast. But it looks slow, I think, because of his size. Like it's an optical illusion. Like did he just – did he just lazily put the bat out there and send the ball 119 miles per hour? <laughs> it might seem that way, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's unbelievable. Um, some would say this, and this is from a friend of mine, that his swing with his elbow being tucked and Let me know what you think of this. compares to some of the greats like Dave Parker and Carlos Delgado, and it's hard to mess up a great swing like that. Oh,
1: for sure, and he is I mean, he's a very simple hitter very simple, and does not have a lot of holes in his, in his zone. So when you can cover a lot of those zones and be very simple, those adjustments day to day, week to week. come Because like, in the big leagues, they're looking for every single way to get you out. But the name of the game as a professional hitter is to make those, those adjustments in time. And he makes those adjustments extremely quick.
0: He does. And when he gets hit, he's not bothered. He's like, wait, was that a little... Was that a flea that hit me? Like (laughs) the ball just bounces off of him. I actually joked and I said, when Jordan Alvarez gets hit by a baseball, the baseball goes on the 60 day IL. (laughs) Because, I mean, he's not faced. And there have been a couple times in the last couple weeks where it's questionable where they were throwing at him. I mean, literally thrown in the knee area two different series, almost two or three days you know, apart from each other. And I'm like, that's not cool. And like, he didn't, you know, he didn't throw his bat. He didn't look. It's just like, he's just like, okay, I'm going to take my base. And he actually ends up scoring a lot of times because of that. How much is a player's, so you have a player that's projected high, right? You have a kid who's coming in. Hey, he's got all the tools, but maybe you come in and you see there are some things you got to work with him mentally because he seems to maybe get in his own way a little bit. He seems to get get real discouraged. How do you approach a player like that? And of course, I know every single individual is different, but how do you approach a guy that's got the tools, but he seems to not have it between the ears? What do you as a coach focus on?
1: Those, yeah, those situations are already kind of, you have to find a way in how to find a way in without him not buying in and not, you know, why is he talking to me? How do you connect with the guy for him to really realize what's going on? It could be through video. It could be through, you know, emotional connection. It could be something familiar. Um, most of these times, I can give you great examples here with the uh, the younger guys having not played that many games in their life, and then all of a sudden they're playing so many games. And the game of baseball is the game of failure. So there's you're they're facing extremely good arms, or playing you're hitting against like very good people, and you're playing on an everyday basis and failing continuously, and it's not easy. It's not normal. So a lot of people have a tough time adjusting to that and figuring out what is important for them uh, and what is important for their development and try to be able to come up, come back mentally and physically on a daily basis.
0: And one of the questions I wanted to ask you, but I'm not going to because you're the manager of the team, <laughs> but um, it seems like the Astros have a lot of really good under-the-radar talent. And when I say that, I really think sometimes the minor leagues, like the top 100 prospect list, a lot of those rankings seem to be on projectability one, two, like how big of a signing bonus that, you know, how much buzz is about them. Is it sometimes good to have an ultra talented kid that there's not a lot of buzz about? Do those do those seem to have a little bit easier time rising through the ranks when there's not all the pressure on them?
1: I wouldn't say it's easier time rising. It's just most time it's just perspective and a uh, pressure. Sometimes those guys who get uh, big bonuses are big uh, first rounders, second rounders, uh, there's just opportunity. I think we established a very good uh, culture here. Of all right, you you made the team. You, you're with the Astros organization now. Now do your thing. You know it doesn't matter if you sign for a box of fungos or for five million dollars. You know we want our guys to develop. And we treat our guys as equal as possible. You know, the game is about opportunity. And we have guys who, if they're a free agent sign or if they sign first round, like we want these guys to develop and be a key part in our big league system. Because the more times we do that, uh, the more times we'll have valuable pieces uh, for a big league team.
0: You know, this this is all great information because these these are things that we don't get to see. And that's why I like to bring you on. I like to bring the players on um, because we get to pull the curtain back a little bit. We get to see behind the scenes. Um, I do appreciate you sitting down with me, taking the time on your off day to hang out with Locked on Astros. Um, Before we go, I just want to remind everybody that one live NBA draft show is not enough for Locked on the entire NBA channel is going live on NBA Draft Night. So if you have a favorite NBA team, make sure you subscribe to their to their Locked On Now YouTube, like Locked On Rockets, or I'd say Locked On Mavericks because we're in Texas, but that's okay. So get notified when they go live on NBA Draft Night. I'm H-Town Wheelhouse, and we've been here with Dicky Jothan, the manager of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. Dicky, any last words you have for us tonight?
1: No, man, thank you so much for having me on, and uh, let's get a good series going on with the Mets and Yankees.
0: Yeah, let's go beat some Yank, some New York tail this week and next. It'll be a, just a, a nice good old Texas butt whooping, I think, the next two weeks. Hey, you know what? Well, let's go seven and two. Forget the naysayers, and let's just go, you know, let it all hang out. Seven and two, the Astros rule the baseball world at the end of this week. How's that sound, Coach?
1: <laughs> Sounds great. Let's go do it.
0: All right. So, you know, um, for myself, Eric um, Command Heisman couldn't be here, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for listening. Remember to make us your first listen every single day. And thank you all for hanging out with us. Again, we are humbled every time we know that you download our show and listen. Please make sure that you share it with three people you know that haven't heard our show and tune in to us daily, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spotify or the Odyssey app. Remember, we're your team every day. Go Stros.